Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. I'm so glad you're here. Praise God for all you guys coming online, all you guys coming from all over the world. Praise God. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for all those that decided to come into my home for Gospel Saving Church this week. Hello, if this is your first time here, my name is Pastor Ed Spagnoli, and this is our weekly broadcast of truth from God's Word. Uh, we always start with a word of prayer, so if you guys would please join me in a word of prayer, and I ask God to help us and help our hearts to understand and help me to speak, and for goodness knows, the Bible says that we can't do anything without Him, but through all things in Christ Jesus we can do. So, Lord, we come before you in Jesus Christ's name, of course, and we thank you for bringing us here, Lord. We thank you for giving us a new day. We thank you, Lord God, for... Um, every beat that beats of our heart and our chest and every breath that we take in our lungs, Lord, these are gifts that you give to everybody, Lord, whether they don't love you, whether whether they love you, Lord. We, Your goodness, Lord, towards mankind is so amazing. And it's it's so, blows my mind, Lord God, how you could still love us. And yet as, as myself, Lord, being uh, the way I used to be, Lord, and even some things that I still do now, Lord, I, I don't understand how you could still love us and desire to forgive us and desire us to have a relationship with you, Lord. But that's that's the unsearchable love of God. So Lord, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna question it. I'm just gonna say I don't understand it, but I thank you for it, Lord. I pray that you help me to give this message today, Lord God. I pray that you'd help all that listen throughout the ages, through uh, across the lands, Lord, all over the world, Lord, I pray you'd help them to understand it. And Lord, not that we would just understand and then as a man looking in the mirror just walks away, Lord, I pray we'd understand it, and then we do what your word says, Lord God. I pray that people would hear you today, Lord God, that people would hear your voice, Lord, through the things that I say, Lord. Forget me, get me out of the way. Lord, I just want people to hear you in your heart and what you desire in your message, Lord. We thank you, we love you, and we praise you. And we ask all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen. All right, we're going to be in Acts chapter 28 today. We're going to finish out the chapter. We're going to finish out the book of Acts. Acts chapters 28, verses 16 through 31. I'll give you a moment to get your Bibles open if you'd like to, or just listen along if you'd like. The title of our sermon today, The Hope of Israel. The Hope of Israel. I'm going to read the verses. You can read along, as I said, or you can listen along, whatever you'd like. Acts chapter 28, verses 16 through 31, Luke writes this to us. Now when we had come to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with the soldier who guarded him. Verse 17, And it came to pass after three days that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. So when they had come together, he said to them, Men and brethren, though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who, when they had examined me, wanted to let me go. But there was no cause for putting me to death. But when, I, but when the Jews spoke against it, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have called you to see you and speak with you, because for the hope of Israel I am bound with this chain. Then they said to him, We neither receive letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren who came reported or spoken any evil of you. But we desire to hear from you and what you think. For concerning this sect, we know that it is spoken against everywhere. 
So when they had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, both from the law of Moses and the prophets, from morning till evening. And some were persuaded by the things which were spoken, and some disbelieved. So when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul had said, after Paul had said one word, the Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers, saying, Go to this people and say, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. Least they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. Least they should understand with their hearts in turn, so that I should heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that the God or that salvation, that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles and they will hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. Last week, scripture told us that Paul and his crew, as well as the other 200 plus passengers on the ship that sank off the coast of Malta, were able to hop on a pagan ship that was headed for Rome, which had finished wintering on the island. And so they sailed to Italy And in that section of scripture, I I left off with them making it almost all the way to Rome. Remember, they made it to a a place called uh, a a Pie Forum or the Three Inns or basically hotels. And that was about 30 miles to go. They were only 30 miles from Rome. It was kind of a very famous town that people stayed in. This week, we read verse 16 that they finally arrive to Rome. Look at verse 16 again. Now, when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with the soldier who guarded him. They finally make it. And what does the centurion do? He wastes no time in doing the job that was given to him. He was commanded to take Paul to Rome safely. He has now got Paul to Rome safely. He has done his job. When he gets there, he delivers Paul, let's say, like a package, like somebody would a package, like FedEx or UPS would deliver a package. He delivers the package of Rome to the captain of the guard of the Roman army. And lastly, after this soldier does this, Luke tells us that Paul was permitted to dwell by himself, which shows us that Paul was not really in prison. They didn't put him in a prison. In fact, well, verse 30 says that he stays in, a, is in his own rented house for two years and he's allowed to dwell or live with the soldier who guarded him. Paul, by miracle of God, by custom accommodations of God, was basically a free man, even though he's a prisoner. Nobody got these kind of accommodations from as a prisoner in Rome. Nobody did, but Paul did. And he basically got a personal bodyguard so that anybody that wanted to attack him, well, he stayed with a soldier who was ready to guard him at all times because that's what he was told to do by the Roman government. While he awaited, remember, the reason he's there, he appealed to Caesar. He, he was waiting for Caesar to judge his case, the case that the Jews had against him. Now, not sure if that guard that was in charge of him, that lived alongside of him, was the same guard that brought him to Rome. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. I'm not going to split hairs over, you know, whether it was. You can have your opinion on that one. I'm, it's, a, it's a scriptural difference. Some people see it that way. Some people don't see it that way. I think it might have been a new Roman guard or a new Roman soldier that was in Rome that had waiting for him that they received him and then they let him stay with Paul. Either way, 
A lot of verses to cover today, so let's keep moving forward. Read verse 17. Then he says, Luke writes, and it, came, and it came to pass after three days that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. So when they had come together, he said to them, Men and brethren, though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. Paul, what does he do here? He doesn't waste any time getting busy for Jesus Christ. He doesn't waste any time. He just three days after he's in Rome. Remember, it took them about six months to get from Caesarea all the way to Rome in a trip that only should have taken two to three weeks. He's exhausted. He's burnt out. He's been serving God. He's been serving Christ. He's been healing people on the, on the, on the island of Malta. He's been traveling. They've been days and nights without food. At one time, they went 14 days without food or water. Uh, on the ship trying to get there. They thought they were all going to die. After all he's been through, after all the travels, all the hundreds of miles he's now come on land, once they got to Italy, once they got to mainland Italy, he's, he's exhausted and he's wore out. Yet he doesn't waste any time getting busy for Jesus Christ. Starting just three days after he gets to Rome, he just pushes forward. He doesn't care. He says, I don't care how tired I am. I'm serving Christ. Paul lived a supernatural life for Christ, didn't he? He, he absolutely did. He, he basically spent himself for God's kingdom. He didn't leave anything behind him. And anyway, after, after just three days, he gets busy for Christ. And what does he do? He calls the leaders of the Jews to himself to tell them about his hope. Remember hope, the title of our sermon, The Hope of Israel, which is Jesus Christ. And, and as he does, miraculously, they come. Uh, miraculously, considering Paul's track record with the Jews. Paul did not have a good success rate talking to the Jews about Jesus Christ. Many of them, oh, we know in Jerusalem why he's even here. They were trying to kill him. As he talked to the Jews about Jesus, only some of them generally kind of accepted. Otherwise, mostly they rejected him. He was bold for Jesus Christ. So he was spent for Jesus Christ and he was super bold for Jesus Christ. He asks them to come. Miraculously, they do. He addresses them with these words, men and brethren. Such, a, such an endearing uh, opening to his audience who he doesn't know right now whether they're against him, whether they, whether they love him, whether they're neutral. Men and brethren. My brethren, my Jewish brethren. Remember, Paul was Jewish too. Though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, so nor, neither have I done anything against the Jews to hurt them, nor have I spoken against our customs. I'm a Jew of Jews, basically. Remember, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. He says, even though I've done nothing wrong or evil towards our people or ways, uh, I was made a prisoner because while they, they, the Jews were against me in, Rome, in, in Jerusalem and they delivered me to the Romans. Basically, in this address, he's kind of filling them in on what's happened to him so far up until this point in Rome. He proceeds to tell them what happens to him while a prisoner with the Romans, which is another miracle. Verse 18, who, he goes on to say, when they had examined me, wanted to let me go because there was no cause for putting me to death. He tells them that he was examined or tried. We know that he went through some trials with the Jews, they, or with the Romans. They tried him for his supposed wrongs, but that they found no cause to accuse him, to give him the death penalty, which means that they found him innocent. 
I'll add, because Paul doesn't, I don't know why he didn't, that he was examined or given three to four separate trials by the Romans. You can go back and Acts, starting in chapter 21 all the way till 25, I think, where he was examined three to four separate times by four different Roman authorities. Again, not sure why Paul didn't address these details, but I think they're super important. I'm, I'm, you know, maybe he had, uh, maybe Luke just didn't record it. Uh, these may not seem like huge details to us today, but what he tells them here would have been tremendously important to them. Why, you say? Well, you see, the Romans, they liked to punish They liked to torture and they liked to kill people that were charged with wrongdoing, even if the accused may not have been guilty. Uh, In fact, it happened with the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 22. The Jews had accused him. The Roman commander came and he delivered him out of their hands. They kind of had a quick trial right then and there to see what was going on. The Jews kind of were throwing out some things. The Romans didn't understand. So what did the Roman commander do? Well, he's got to be guilty. Nobody tries to kill a man if he's not guilty, so tie him up and let's flog him. They were going to get an answer out of Paul. They were going to get a confession out of Paul because that's what they did. That's, this is a, they, were, they were very sophisticated but very brutal society of people. So they basically would punish, torture, and kill people who were charged with wrongdoing whether they were wrong or not. But they, were, they wanted their man, they wanted the case open and shut, and that was the end. They judged people this way to, number one, flex their power over those that they had subjugated. Rome was all about keeping people in their place, keeping people suppressed so that they didn't rise up because the more quiet people were, the more Rome could just continue to put few soldiers in those cities and then go and try to take over the world and keep going on and conquer the world. So they often did this just in order to keep peace and to keep order. The Romans often put their subjects to open beatings, then death by capital punishment. Example, just think of Jesus Christ on the cross. This is exactly what they did to him. They openly flogged him. Anybody could have watched. And then what did they do? Common practice. They put him up on a hill, uh, Golgotha. And what did they do? They crucified him with, with thousands of people looking on. And why did they do this? Don't mess with the Romans. Don't mess with us because if you do, you'll pay for it, right? And here the Roman, so here the fact that the Romans did not find Paul guilty, right? And, and either give him the death penalty or at least beat him after trying him or giving him three to four different trials by four different Romans authorities. This was a tremendous miracle. And these Jews that gathered around Paul probably had known about what they even did to Jesus Christ. Again, the, the crucifixion crosses on a hill, very common, they would have thought, well, wow, the Romans didn't even do anything to him? This would have been a tremendous boost in them knowing, hey, he really was not guilty. He really wasn't. So notice he starts also his discourse to them by proving his miraculous innocence with the Romans to them. This is a monumental topic considering he's about to open up to them about Jesus, who is the hope of Israel, Jesus the Christ. Now, after laying the groundwork of his supernatural innocence to them, he continues, verses 19 and 20. But when the Jews spoke against it, he goes on to say, so the Romans found me innocent, but when the Jews spoke against it. So basically the Jews didn't agree with the Romans acquitting him. And because they didn't, he, he goes on to say, I was compelled to appeal 
to Caesar. Acts 25, which is why he's there in Rome now. Uh, now, or he says, he goes on to say, not that I had done anything of which to accuse my nation. Why would he say that? Well, I believe he's trying to be very careful to be super passive with these Jews. You see, Paul wants to make sure that these guys know he's not there to attack them. He's not there to try to get them in trouble. He's not there trying to accuse his people back home, the ones that got him in trouble, the ones that the reason he's were there he's not he's trying not to offend them because he's leading them toward his angle toward the angle of the hope of israel jesus christ he finally opens up his heart he gets through with his beginning discourse and he tells them why he's really called them there which is his angle Remember, I taught a sermon just a couple few weeks ago. Everybody has an angle. Well, here's Paul's angle, verse 20. For this reason, therefore, I have called you. There he brings it up. Hey, I've got a reason, this hope reason that I've called you here. He goes on to see you and speak with you because for the hope of Israel, I am bound with these chains. I'm here to tell you about our hope, our hope. No, it's our hope. He says that for the hope of Israel, but it's our hope. The hope of Israel would be the Jewish hope first, or our Savior, our Messiah, the Savior of Jehovah. And we know that Paul preached that there was no other than Jesus, which was the Christ or the Messiah. And he tells them that this Jesus Christ is the reason he was a prisoner. And, and that is true. Did you know that all Paul would have had to done, excuse me, all Paul would have had to do when he was being accused by the, by, the, by the Jews in Jerusalem and throughout you know, all the places that they went in Caesarea, all he would have had to do is say, you know what, you're right, I'm wrong. You know what, Jesus is not the Messiah. Jesus is not the Christ. I'll stop teaching that he is. Let's just be Jewish buddies again. And, and they would have. They would have said, hey, okay, you're done? Hey, we're good. Hey, Romans, you know what? We don't have any case against him anymore. He's good to go. He's our friend now. We're good. Had he had done this, if he'd just done this, they would have ceased trying to kill him, and they would have dropped all their charges, the charges that they had against him. And he could have been a free man, and he wouldn't have had to go to Rome, and he wouldn't have had to stand before the Caesar, but he didn't. He ended up buying by the hands of Nero Caesar about 65 A.D. along with Peter. The same Caesar, by the way, that he's now waiting for judgment on. This is the same Caesar that he's standing before now. This point of Paul and the 12 apostles' refusal to deny Jesus Christ as proof that he resurrected and the proof that they did see him again, that there's hope for eternal life and that he is the Christ and the Messiah, uh, that it was a real historical event. It actually proves that it's a real historical event. Uh, this is something, if you've ever read the book Case for Christ by Lee Strobel, uh, they just made a movie recently, and this is one of the things that brought him to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ is the fact that the disciples who had no motive, they had no no, they weren't trying to trick people. They weren't, they, they, they weren't going to die for a lie, a willful lie, knowing it was a willful lie. Yet they all went to their deaths. They all went ahead and continued out, allowing themselves to be persecuted unto death, all except for John, because Jesus, they, they proclaimed this, these simple facts. Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. He is the Savior of the world. He is God Most High, and He is alive again. 
And this is what Paul does here. He escapes his escape from death. He could have easily been escaped. He could have easily not gone to Rome, not died by the hand of Caesar, not had to go through all that terrible traveling through the Mediterranean Sea where they almost lost their lives and except for God saving them. And all he would have had to do was deny Jesus Christ, but he didn't. Here we see that Paul explains this fact to them, showing us that even he thought that this was a powerful proof to give them to prove that Jesus was indeed the Christ of Jehovah and the hope of Israel. Look at what he says after his compelling testimony. Look at verses 21 and 22. Then they said to him, We neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren who come reported or spoken any evil of you. So they had not heard anything good nor bad from the Jews in Jerusalem. This is a, I considered it throughout when I was looking at the scripture this week, trying to, you know, prepare for what I was going to say. This is really a bona fide miracle. It it really is. The fact, why, why? Because the Jewish leadership from Jerusalem would surely have known that Paul had taken his case to Caesar in Rome. And without God's intervention in stopping them, they definitely would have wanted to poison the hearts of the Jews in Rome to get them on their side working against Paul. Remember, they wanted Paul dead. They accused him. They wanted the Romans to kill him. Then when the Romans said no, they even came in. If, you, if you're familiar with the book of Acts, they were like, hey, well, I know you won't kill him, but hey, here's what we want you to do. You don't even have to kill him. All you have to do is just here, send him on this road, and here's what we're going to do. We're going to lay an ambush, and we'll take care of him. Just, you know, send him lightly guarded, you know, and then, hey, you don't have to get your blood, your hands dirty with blood. We'll take care of him. They wanted to murder him, and they wanted to have him murdered several times. So, so, So far, so good here because the Jews have not heard and it was common sense that they would have tried to contact the Jews in Rome and say, hey, let's get this guy. This guy's been a troubler of Israel, but they didn't, which is good news. That's why I saw it as a bona fide miracle. So really good for Paul. So far, he's been able to reach them for Jesus Christ. God had not allowed them to have a prior bias against him from the Jews in Jerusalem who wanted him dead. It gets better, then it gets a little worse, but God works it out. Look at the rest of verse 22. But we desire, they tell him, to hear from you what you think. Paul gets his open door to be able to tell them about Jesus Christ, and they even, listen, desire him to tell them about the hope of Israel. That is a wow for me. That is a total miracle. Look at verse rest of verse 22. For concerning this sect, so that would be the Christian religion that he helped lead, that Jesus Christ left after he died and rose again. We know that it is spoken against everywhere. So they had heard bad things about Christianity from others, but they wanted to hear it right from the horse's mouth. We know that they didn't hear anything from the Jews in Jerusalem, which would have had the biggest peer pressure on them. That would have put the biggest peer pressure on them from the Jews in Jerusalem to send that to them. But they had heard bad about Christianity as a whole, but they're, they're like, you know what, that's fine. We want to hear from you what you have to say. I see here... God doing a humongous miracle on their hearts to prepare them for the news of the hope of Israel or Jesus as the Christ. Because usually, 
And we all know this. It's so common human nature nowadays. In fact, we almost live our lives by it here in America. Once people hear negative reviews of a company or institution, the negative news becomes their opinion. When you go, when you go to Yelp, when you go to buy a product and you go to look at customer reviews, if, if, if the reviews are 1.5 and it has five good reviews out of a thousand and it has, and it has, you know, 995 uh, one-star reviews and only five good reviews, what do we do? <laughs> Move on. I ain't doing this. No way. Moving on. A lot of bad negative reviews of a company, institution, product causes people to be very closed toward hearing anything good about it. Again, this is our human nature. This is generally people don't lie. Hey, people have a bad review. They have a bad experience with a product or a company or a business. Ah, that's it. You know, I don't want to bother. That's our human nature. Bad reputations are almost impossible to overcome. But again, I believe God's working in their hearts here and they don't get tripped up into condemning Paul from what they've heard about Christianity and their hope of Israel. Jesus says the Christ, right? They're open and even hear desire to hear about him. That's why I look at this as like a huge miracle. Look at what their desire leads them to do. Verse 23. So when they had appointed him a day, think about that. They not only desired for him to tell them, but then, then they also gave him a day to which to tell him. Uh, uh, that means it's really serious. They're really seriously wanting to know about the hope of Israel. They get formal about it. They could have just said, well, you know, we'll kind of come back here and there. You're, you're going to be here. Paul would say, yep, can't really go anywhere. You know, so <laughs> they would have they definitely, you know, they could, a few of them could have come here, a few of them come there, but they don't. As a whole group, they set a specific date and then they come Praise God. Look next. Then many came to him at his lodging. They actually came to him in his own, remember, rented home. This is even a bigger praise God moment. If you're a born-again Christian and have shared Jesus Christ with others in your life, how many times have you actually got lost people that you've witnessed to to actually come to your home after you've talked to them to actually hear more? I mean, I've had it had a few times, but I could tell you, not many, which means that God, I see completely here, definitely working on these people's hearts in a personal way. Luke goes on to say there, that verse, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, both from the law of Moses and the prophets, listen, from morning till evening. This wasn't just an hour and a half church service or a half hour get together. Hey, here's some things about Jesus. This was a morning till evening thing. At this time in Paul's life, remember there was no New Testament. So he uses the Old Testament of the Christian Bible or what the Jews would consider the Tanakh, which was the whole assembly of what we call the Old Testament to solemnly testify, he says, to them of God's kingdom and to persuade them to believe in Jesus as the Christ of the world or Jehovah's Savior. And verse 23 tells us that he does it uh, from morning till evening, so effectively all day long he gets to tell them about Jesus Christ. By the way, we can still preach Jesus Christ out of the Old Testament or the Tanakh today. There are many verses and sections of Scripture that talk about him and what he will do when he comes, and the things that he was going to teach. 
what family line of the Jews he was born to, uh, where he was born, uh, Isaiah 7, Isaiah chapter 40, Isaiah 52, Isaiah chapter 53, Isaiah 61, Psalms 22, Zechariah 13, Exodus 12 with Moses, just to name a few. There are lots, lots, lots more and lots of sections and lots of scriptures, even in one I gave you there. Uh, but, but those chapters of God's word are just overwhelm, overwhelmingly abundant with the hope of Israel talking about, again, what the Messiah would do when he'd come, the prophecies that you know the Christ would fulfill when he came. And they all give prophecy of what the Messiah will do when he comes, the miracles, works, and teachings. And, and guess what? Jesus Christ did all those things. And where the Messiah will be born, well, Messiah was born in the locale that the, the Bible says that he was going to be born in and what the family line of the Messiah was to be born from. And he was born from that one, making Jesus Christ the hope of Israel, God's indeed promised Messiah. And Paul here says that he proved it to them right from their own Jewish texts. Again, I can do that too to you. We've done that here in the past. I love doing that. I love arguments or not arguments, but I love proofs from the Old Testament because Christians, we don't have an empty faith. Our faith is not built on sand. Our faith is not built on tradition. Our faith is not built on just people's feelings and, and how they may think or, oh, well, you know, this move or that move. Our faith is built on the solid ground of an actual Messiah that gave proof of himself and that showed himself to the world and not just fluff. And that's what Paul gave him here. He didn't give him fluff. He said, this is the Jesus I follow. This is what he did. And this is what the, your Bible says that the Messiah would do. Giving them really no, I'm, hands down, they would have been like, wow, that's, wow, that's amazing. Uh, the outcome of Paul's diligent efforts to get them the proof that Jesus of Nazareth was indeed the Messiah of Jehovah from the Old Testament, helped them come to a saving knowledge. Look at verse 24. And some were persuaded by the things which were spoken, and some disbelieved. Sounds like, if you've read the book of Acts, sounds like Paul's other crowds, right? Some people would be persuaded to believe, and they continue on and follow with Paul, while others held to their disbelief, which is both a good and a bad thing, right? I mean, not so good for those who disbelieve unless they come back around later on, but at least good for the some that were persuaded to believe, right? Absolutely. Well, here, seemingly it's good and bad news, but sadly, it doesn't stay that long. Read verse 25, but not the whole verse. He says here, So when they did not agree among themselves, they departed. Stop there. Uh, the big, big point. We'll come back. Make sure you put your finger there. What Luke just told us is that even though some of the Jews initially believed because of Paul's proofs from their own Jewish or Hebrew ancient and reliable text that Jesus was God's promised Messiah, the hope of Israel, once they conferred together with those that disbelieved, they decided as a whole group instead of individually to reject Jesus Christ as God's Messiah. It's called peer pressure. And boy, oh boy, oh boy, I really hate peer pressure. Peer pressure is why our 
government has the problems it does. Peer pressure are why people come and then leave the Lord. Peer pressure is why people, when they're thinking about coming to the Lord, they, they, they think about it, then they kind of talk to their friends, and their friends put the peer pressure on them, and they make them feel alienated. And then people go, oh, you know, Jesus isn't worth it. Peer pressure can be horrible. And that means this peer pressure that these Jews received here, that means that the ones that were persuaded to believe by the Holy Spirit through the scriptures chose to decide not to believe because of the peer pressure from the ones that disbelieve. Often those that do turn to Christ have to persevere through the persecution of those that that they know personally uh, called peer pressure who don't agree with their choice of turning to Jesus Christ. And if you are a born-again person and you're listening to me out there, most likely this has happened to you. It's happened to me. Absolutely it's happened to me. Um, my, my friends, my family have all rejected me many times and, and alienated me and treat me different all because I believe in Jesus Christ. And boy, those because of those ways, had I if if I, if if I let that peer pressure get to me because it was a it was an absolute it was an absolute temptation I could have absolutely followed them and stopped following the Lord sadly 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 I do not like peer pressure peer pressure excuse me and it is sad but it happens but it, but if you really love Christ you have to face the peer pressure from those that you care about and, and pray for them uh, with some receiving harsher criticism obviously. Uh, for the choices to turn to Jesus Christ. We know that if you live in a Muslim world, in a Muslim-controlled country, a Muslim-dominant country like Saudi Arabia and others in Indonesia, it's harder to accept Jesus Christ. Your peer pressure is not only a rejection, but it can be they kill you. So anyway, I hate peer pressure. It's a terrible thing. Uh, Moving forward, look at what Paul does in response to their group rejection of Jesus Christ. Pick up in verse 25, after themselves. Remember, themselves. Then we'll continue on reading all the way through verse 27. It says here that they departed after Paul had said one word. Now, Paul didn't just say, go or leave or get out of here or whatever. He didn't just say one word or one phrase. They didn't, he doesn't mean, Luke's not writing that they actually left after he said one literal word. But he, they leave after he says this, The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet from our fathers, saying, that'd be Isaiah 6, 9 through 10, by the way, after he says what he does here, they flee from him like the plague. Look at what he says there, verse 26. <clears throat> Go to this people and say. Uh, so this, these are words that God told Isaiah back in Isaiah chapter 6, going to speak to the Jews that Paul's now aiming toward his Jewish audience that he's sitting before or standing before right now. Go to these people, these Jewish people, and say, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive, so you, you just they're not going to get it, for the hearts of this people have grown dull. And I want you to tell them that. Hey guys, I'm going to tell you things, but you're not going to understand them. I'm gonna, I want you to listen to me, but you're not really going to hear me. Your hearts, God tells Isaiah here, have grown dull. I wish that God would have told him to say that, but he, he goes on. Why would God tell Isaiah to tell the Jews of his day all those harsh things? And why would Paul aim these same harsh words toward the Jews that he was speaking to here in Rome? Well, God tells us next, finishing up that verse, those verses in Isaiah. Their ears are hard of hearing, God tells Paul, or God tells Isaiah to tell the Jews, and their eyes they have 
closed. That means by their free will, by their choice that God gives every human being, they were choosing to say, yeah, you know, God, I want to go my own way. I know, I know, I know. Yeah, 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 God, I know you want us to come. But, you know, Lord, I, yeah, I'm going to shut my eyes, you know, kind of being like little children. Remember little, little children when they're little, they think they can play hide and seek with you by closing their eyes like you didn't see them. Well, that's the Jews here being very childish, closing their eyes in opposition against God. And then God goes on to say, least they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. Least they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. And that would be, of course, heal them from their sin. Heal them from their rebellion. Remember, as I've said a few times in this message so far, God was absolutely doing great a great work of salvation in their hearts. Uh, number one, divining Paul to be here. Paul should have died with the rest of them at sea in the Mediterranean Sea with the Eurycliden a long time ago. God got him there no matter what. Two, making sure the Jews of Jerusalem didn't send any letters against Paul to the Jews in Rome so that the Jews' hearts in Rome weren't tainted by the Jews from Jerusalem. Three, although they had heard some bad things about the sect of Christianity that Paul belonged to, it hadn't come from the hateful Jews in Jerusalem, the ones that wanted to kill Paul, the ones that would have had the biggest peer pressure against him to not, you know, to to peer pressure them into hating Paul before he ever got there. And so the Jews in Rome were willing and even desired to hear Paul tell them about the hope of Israel, Jesus Christ. And for God's work so strong in their hearts that they organized a time specifically to hear Paul tell them about Jesus Christ. Remember being very formal, which means very serious. You see, the Bible says that it is God who calls and draws men to himself for salvation. And again, here in this section of Scripture, All signs in this section with these Jews in Rome point directly to God doing a great work in their hearts to get them the amazing message of Jesus Christ, the hope of Israel, to help them believe, even to give them proof from their own scriptures to help them believe and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Same, by the way, as God had done with the Jews of old under the Old Covenant in the days of prophets like Daniel. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Isaiah, and Isaiah especially who wrote these words in Isaiah 7, 21 through 26. He says this of those same Jews, the Jews that he that God said, hey, go tell them their eyes are closed and go tell them all these things. God says this sadly, thus the Lord of thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Add your burnt offerings to your sacrifices and eat meat. For I did not speak to your fathers or commanded them in that day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices. But this is what I commanded them. Obey my voice and I will be your God and you shall be my people. And walk in all the ways that I have commanded you that I may be with you. Do what I say. This is what I commanded. Obey my words. Verse 24. Yet they did not obey or recline their ear, but followed the counsels and dictates of their evil hearts and went backward and not forward. Since that, since the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt until this day, I have even sent to all my servants the prophets daily rising up early and sending them. Yet they did not obey me nor incline their ear, but they stiffened their necks. They did worse than their fathers. So, so why would God have told Isaiah to tell all those harsh things to the Jews of his day and, and then lead Paul to say, say the same things to the Jews in Rome after they had heard all the mountains of evidence for Jesus being the Christ, the hope of Israel? Because 
Although God had done all the work to reveal himself to them as the hope of Israel in Jesus Christ, through the mouth of Paul and through his Old Testament prophetical word and call them with a heavenly calling, they chose with their own free will to disbelieve and reject God and his Messiah. They, as God said through Jeremiah, same with Paul, verse 26, Jeremiah 7, yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but they stiffened their necks. No, God, we won't yield to you. And although they all had the right ingredients and atmosphere to turn to Christ and be saved, they refused to repent and believe. Matthew twenty-two fourteen. For many are called, but few are chosen. But as we just saw here and with God's word in Isaiah and Jeremiah, few aren't chosen because God wants or desires them to do that or that he doesn't desire to save them or for lack of God trying, lack of God sending out his prophets, sending out his messengers, come, come Israel, come back to God. Don't, don't follow the dictates of your own hearts. Don't go after your own way. Come to God. Turn to Jehovah. God beckoning, begging, pleading with the people not to reject him. So they use their free will that God gave them, and he gives to all of us, to reject him because they desired to live for themselves. Same as Jesus Christ said in Matthew 23, 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the ones who the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. This is one of the saddest aspects of mankind with God. It just breaks my heart. God calls and draws and most reject because they love themselves and they love their sin. What was the result of the Jews in Rome refusing to come to Jesus Christ, even though God had practically done everything to help them turn? Verses 28 and 29. Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. Hey, Jews, you don't want it. God still wants to save people. You had your chance. I'm going to turn to the Gentiles. Those that you despise are going to actually hear and receive your word. And when he had said these words, the Jews, remember all of those words, as I just said earlier, not just one word, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. Just like Paul had said to other groups of Jews they had witnessed to in the past, he says again, you don't want Jehovah's Christ, even though God's given you every proof to believe? The, the Gentiles, they didn't even really need the proofs. They just wanted the hope. The Jews, they didn't want the hope. They wanted themselves. It's period, the end. These truths of the Messiah are going to go to them because they desire God's salvation, even though you don't. And then at that, the Jews scattered from Paul like a plague, angry with God and Paul, but unlike other Jews in other cities, not attacking Paul to kill him, but but they weren't getting away from Paul like a plague with a hatred for him only. They hated him because Jesus Christ, John 15, 18, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. Sad and disappointing for the Jews of Rome and as a whole in Paul's ministry, but good for the Gentiles. None of these things persuaded Paul. All the rejection, 
all the, his own countrymen whom he says, I believe in First or Second Corinthians, Lord, I would, I would give my own soul to burn in hell if you would just let the Jews be saved. So he doesn't give up, even though that's tremendously discouraging. Instead, Acts 28, he keeps going, uh, verses 30, 31, to finish up our verses for today and to finish the entire book of Acts. I've got to get on to a new one next week. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, with all confidence. He didn't let the Jewish rejection of him stop his confidence. He said, I'm going to preach Jesus Christ, even if he's the most unpopular topic to preach of all. And he did it with confidence. And look at the God's divine providence for him. No one forbidding him. God kept them there to bring Jesus Christ to anyone and all that would come and listen and gave him a stage to do so. Think of his own rented house, not a prison cell, not in shackles, not in change, free to go and come. People were free to go and come for him. And he did it for a whole two years. God is still calling and drawing people to Jesus Christ and himself today. January 2019, just like he was with Paul to the Jews in Rome, he's never stopped. Most people only think, though, that God is calling and drawing unsaved people to himself, but they would be wrong in saying that. God is calling and drawing both the saved and unsaved to himself and Jesus Christ. If, if you belong to Jesus Christ today, God's desire for you is that you come to know him and Christ more. The knowledge of the Most High is unsearchable, a psalmist writes. Who do you think you are not seeking God and not seeking him more diligently every day like you know everything about God? You've got the deepest relationship with Jesus. These are prideful things that infiltrate our hearts. These sayings are prideful things that infiltrate our hearts. God says, you'll never know everything about me while you're on this planet. Paul says, when I die, I'll, I'll no longer see through a veil. I'll see plainly. Then we'll know. But right now, we don't know everything. And God wants you to come deeper. God's calling you more. He's calling you more powerfully. He's calling, get on your knees more. Get in my word more. He's desiring and drawing you to seek him through his word and in prayer daily more because that's how relationship works. When you come to be born again saved from your sins, God began a relationship with you. A relationship is a two-way street. Remember, relationship, I teach this all the time. Relationship is a two-way communication. A wife would not have a good relationship with a husband if they didn't talk for two weeks. No. If, if they didn't do something together, if they didn't communicate at all, best friends, oh, it's been a year, that's not a good relationship. You may know that person as an acquaintance, but that's not a good relationship. God desires a good relationship, a constant in and out flow with you. As a born-again Christian, your side of the relationship should be spent more and more and more and increasingly more as you go along, speaking with God in Christ. Uh, that would be through prayer and then listening to Him. This would be through a, a quiet time, a Bible time, a reading, a daily reading. As, as, as I say, just like with your wife or your spouse or your girlfriend or your boyfriend, you will not go a day if you love that person without 
telling them I love you and talking to them even a little bit. You will not go a day not talking to your spouse for at least five minutes if you have a good relationship with your spouse. Are you talking to God, if you're a Christian, at least five minutes a day or more? Well, if you're not, you should be, because that's what he wants. He's, he's, he desires a stronger and deeper relationship with you, and you only get that through prayer and then reading his word, meditating on his word, thinking about the things that God says in his word. This is how you strengthen and even grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. God desires and is drawing you to him daily, uh, the same as I desire my own wife and kids uh, and to want to sit down with me and talk together. I, 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 I'm, some people would think I'm radical, but I say if we're going to have family time and we're going to eat dinner together, we're going to eat dinner together and we're not going to be playing on our phones. We're not going to be sitting in front of the TV. We're not going to be watching this. We're not going to be listening to that. We're going to be eating together and we're going to be talking together. Even if I may not see my older son all day, and even if I may only get 10 minutes during dinner to spend time with him, by golly, I'm going to show him I love him and give him a good relationship for as much as I possibly can. And this is the same thing God wants with us. It's the same thing. So to all my Christian brothers and sisters in Christ out there, I hope you're responding to God's draw in your heart and life to seek him in Christ more through his word and in prayer daily more and more so that you can have an awesome, uh, so that you can be, I should say, an awesome son or daughter of his and serve him like he's worthy to be served. If we're not in good communication with him, how much are we going to want to serve him? Not very much. Now, if you're not born again today, so you wouldn't call yourself saved, but you find yourself listening to this message, then God is definitely calling you and drawing you to himself because it's no coincidence that you find yourself here listening. It's no coincidence. If this is you, then you must respond to his calling and his drawing by seeking him. That's what he desires. Uh, the, and the only ways that you could seek him, very similar to what he wants his own children to do, are in his word and through prayer. That's the only way. The, the days when I was an atheist and I was seeking God, I, I believed, yeah, there might be a divine creator, but I would pray. Hey, God, and I wasn't raised in any religion. I was raised in zero. I was an atheist. My family didn't drag me to church. I didn't, I didn't know anything about Jesus Christ. I don't even know if I knew his name outside of a swear word, but I would pray, God, would you please reveal yourself to me? God, if you're there, I, 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 I kind of want to know. <laughs> and then I, I went to the Word of God, and I started reading the Bible, and I was like, if God's real, well, let me read about Him. I never read about Him. Let me, let me read about Him here. Well, this is what God desires you to do if you would say, well, I don't know Him today. This can only be done, <laughs> it's the only difference between you and God's kids and the way He wants you to seek you is He wants you to desire to come to know him. He wants you to have a desire to say, are, are you real? I want to know you. I, I want to know you. If you're real, then please reveal yourself to me. I, I really earnestly want to know. His, his kids have that personal, intimate knowledge, and they know he's real already, and he's assured us of that, and we live in that assurance every day. But you, he wants you to come to have that, insurance, that assurance. This can only be done once you humble yourself, once you 
turn to Jesus as the Christ of the Bible and allow God to put his Holy Spirit in you. And you can really then can't turn to Jesus Christ of the Bible unless you learn of him personally. And scripture will teach you, uh, not like most televangelists teach you about him. There is a, see, there's a, there's a TV Jesus Christ and there's a Bible Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, they are world's Apart. God is also calling, drawing you to seek Him in His Word and through prayer today because He also wants to know if you're really interested in Him and having a personal relationship with Him, uh, which will develop o- over time. Th- think of the time if you're married or if you had a girlfriend, there came a time when you saw that really pretty lady, that really pretty girl, that really handsome guy, and you were like, wow, I really kind of want to know him. I want to see if he'll talk to me. And what did you do? You didn't just sit back and sit back at the, you know, at the table at high school and go, oh, if he, if he likes me, I really like him. If he likes me, then he'll, he'll come over here. Yeah, he'll come over here. No, no, no. You got up. You went over and you were like, and you made some kind of, you, you accidentally bumped in. Oh, I'm so, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't see you there. Oh, that's, hey, uh, my name's, uh, my name's Ed. You're, what's your name? I've, I've seen you. Oh, and that's how it would start. Well, God wants to see the same for you. He wants to see if you're willing to actually not only desire to know, but actually take a step to say, well, you know what? I want to really want to see if you're real, God. Well, let me see what the, I've never read the Bible before. Let me, let me see if God is real. Let me start reading here. God is calling and drawing you to himself right now. Please go now. Seek him in his word. Start in the New Testament. I always encourage people that I talk to in the streets, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and, and ask him in prayer as I did. As I, I, was a, I was an everything hater. I didn't, I didn't have a bias. I, I hated you whether you were white or black or, or God or Jesus Christ or, or, or an Asian. I hated everybody, even myself. But I prayed, God, I, I want to know, are, are you real? Would you, would you reveal yourself to me, Lord? If you are, God, if you are, and, and asking him if he would bring you to the point where you could know him. That's what he wants you to ask. So please seek now. Tomorrow is never guaranteed as you born are you born again if you think you're born again are, are you sure do you even know what it means to be born again because most think that most think that it comes by by being water baptized but is that what the bible says that's not what the bible says so are you ready to die right now and be judged by god the way you are the way you sit does that make you uncomfortable when i say that these are things, the answers to those questions would, would then, God's working on you going, no, you're not ready to die. If you can say to someone, oh, I, don't, I, I love Jesus Christ, but oh, I'm not, I'm not ready to die. Well, I'm scared to die. Well, then that's a good indication, the Bible says, that you don't really know him. And so would you seek him today? Would you seek him now? Would you not waste any time? Please, God's waiting for you. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word today, thank you so much, Lord God, that you are still calling and drawing people to yourself, God. Thank you so much that, oh Lord, even though I, for 25 years of my life, Lord, even though I rejected you, Lord, even though I ran from you, Lord, even though I I blaspheme your name, Lord God, I thank you that you never gave up on me. <laughs> Lord God, I Pray for those that are listening to this message today that that made it all the way through, Lord, but they're not yours, Lord. I, Lord, I know you're calling them, 
and, and right now they're maybe seeking you in secret because of peer pressure. Lord, and that's very, that's very common. Or they seek you, Lord, and they, they don't want anybody to know. Because, <laughs> Lord, they know if their good friends know, then, Lord, they're, they're going to dissuade them. They're going to give them a hard time about it. Uh, so, Lord, I, I just pray, God, you would touch their hearts right now. Those that would be out there that would say, well, you know, I'm not really, you know, I know I'm not good. I mean, I know I grew up in church, but I'm not, yeah, I'm not really. And, and I pray, God, that they would set their hearts to seek you and, and that they would ask you, Lord, as I did, Lord, God, are you real? Are you real? Jesus Christ, are you really real? Would, would you show me? Would you reveal yourself? No, Lord, I don't want to, I don't want you to do any tricks like a monkey through a hoop or anything, Lord. I just, I just really want to know, are you there? Are you there? Do, do you exist? Would you, would you reveal yourself to me, Lord? Because I, I'm having trouble believing. And Lord, I pray that, that they would ask those questions, Lord God, and that, Lord, you would see their heart. Lord, as your word says, your eyes go to and fro throughout the whole earth, seeking whose hearts are strong towards you, Lord. See their hearts, Lord, and come like a flood of just power and evidence and awesomeness and love, Lord, to show them who you are, just like you did me, that brought me from the grave, Lord, to life. Lord, and for us, your children, Lord God, that are out there, I pray, dear God, that we would never be content with just being the way we are now. I pray, dear God, that we would always strive, Lord, to serve you more, to seek you more, to read a little bit more every day, to pray a little bit more every day. Paul says, Lord, in the word, pray without ceasing. I have yet to be able to do that in my everyday life every single day. As certain times of the day, I find that that's a successful thing, Lord. But then, you know, life happens and I don't talk to you. I stop for times. And so, Lord, I, I pray that we would all have a goal or those of us that are yours to seek you more and to even, and to even pray more and to even, even aim towards the goal, Lord, to pray without ceasing. Lord, either way, whether lost or saved, listen to this message, Lord. I pray that you would work in these people's lives, Lord God, and help them either draw closer to you and more towards you or come to you for the first time or come back to you. We thank you, Lord, and we praise you, Lord God, and ask all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen.